pray for our time together, um, and then you can find 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. Father, we are just so thankful uh, for this time, thankful for your ministry to us through your word, thankful for your ministry through your Holy Spirit, um, thankful for the ministry that The Rock's doing and that these guys are pouring in and, and there's some really difficult scenarios. And Lord, I believe that you're providing light at the end of the tunnel uh, for some of these uh, kids who just says there is, there's no hope for me. And so I pray that you would encourage them, that you would uh, give them an opportunity to continue to do the work they do, and you do that through support. And so I um, provide that for them. And uh, as we uh, open your word today, I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would do just a miraculous thing, that he shows up, he does his work, um, and that we wouldn't leave this place the same. That as we sit here right now, Lord, we allow your word to transform us, we allow your spirit uh, to move amongst us and uh, illumine the text so that we can see what you have for us. And then we're going to ask that you apply it, that we don't walk out of here with nothing, but we walk out of here with a, a willingness and the availability to you apply your truth. And so to that end, Lord, this morning is yours. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so a, 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 I don't know how long ago, a while ago, I, I, was, I was driving home. Uh, I was leaving uh, work here, leaving the office, and I was excited to get home. I'm excited to go see Ashley, excited to see the kids. And uh, as I was pulling onto my street, as I often do, you know, to get home, I, I pulled on my street, and, and, I, and as I was driving home, I, I saw some things that I hadn't seen before, or at least hadn't stood out to me before. It felt like every yard that I was passing by was so, like, it was crazy green. Like, it was, like, luscious and well-manicured. And guys, I'm not, like, there are people who take care of the yards, but I'm talking, like, this was weird. Like, this was, like, in, like, magazine kind of weird. And I'm like, what is going on here? But I drove home, parked the car, got out of the car, and I started looking at my yard. And I looked around, and I'm like, my yard's green. It's not green like that. My yard looks nice, but it's not nice like that. I started looking around, and I was like, I see some weeds over there. They got bicycles and balls kind of hanging out around the yard. And I was like, my life, it's nice over here. And there was something that began to well up in me. I, I began to have this sense of disappointment with my own yard. I, I began to have this sense of like envy. I wondered what other people on the street, apparently they had something that I didn't have, or they were aware of something that I wasn't aware of, and I wanted what they had. And what I had going on in me standing in my driveway was this proverbial, the grass is greener, on the other side of the fence. Ever been there? The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Guys, we're talking about some grass greener on the other side of the fence stuff this morning. Last week, we, we delved into the idea and the intricacies that are surrounding marriage. And by the way, we actually, we didn't finish what we wanted to actually uh, get through last week. And so there may be some lingering questions on marriage uh, in general or particulars about your marriage. You're like, I just want to sit down. I want to talk with somebody about that. I want you to know that, I mean, we love to do that. Shoot me an email. Let's grab some coffee. Let's talk about those things. But this week, we're going to kind of move into some of the intricacies of singleness. And we're going to say that, that singleness is a gift. And here's the reality. I'm going to let you in on a secret, but I think everybody knows this secret pretty well. All right. You ready for it? Not every single person wants to be single. <laughs> That's no surprise, right? Not every single person wants to be single. But I'm going to let you in on what's not so much of the well-known secret. There's another secret. And if you tell anybody that I told you this, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to say there's no, I did not say that. We're going to cut the tape. It's not going to work, okay? But here's the secret. You ready for it? There's a, there's a lot of married people who don't want to be married either. There's a lot of single people who want to walk in your shoes, but there's a lot of married people who want to walk in the single shoes. 
There's some people who say, I want to take a few steps in yours, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to take a few steps in yours too, because the truth is that the grass always sometimes seems greener on the other side of the fence. And so let's talk about that this morning, okay? I, I want to frame this conversation in the context of, of our identity. So what I want you to do is I want you to look down at your hands. Go ahead, look down at your hands, all right? And I, I want you to look at your, your thumb here. Do, do you see the ridges that you have there in your thumbprint? History and science have proven over and over and over again that there is no one on earth with that exact same thumbprint, okay? That thumbprint that you have there on your hand, like there's no other one like it anywhere on this planet. It's the imprint on your thumb that says that you're a unique person within this whole context of the human race. You're a unique person. You're unique, but you belong to something that's so much bigger. Your thumbprint, you could say to some degree, gives you a little bit of your identity, right? Now think about this, though. Your identity isn't just in your thumbprint. Your identity is so much more than what's going on in your thumb. Think about it like this. Scripture tells us that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, your whole identity has changed. There's nothing that's the same about you. You've come to Him, and He's changed that identity. Just like that thumbprint that you have that stamps your finger, Jesus stamps your life with His life. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and stamps you with his Holy Spirit. He gives the Spirit to you as a guarantee that you belong to him. So your identity is completely changed, completely changed. Jesus has stamped your life. So when you look at your life, you should begin to see the ridges a little bit differently. You begin, you should, in Christ, you should begin to see the ridges of love and compassion beginning to ooze out of you because those are part of his identity. And you should be able to look at the ridges of your life and should be able to see a little bit of grace and truth being expressed in the conversations and the interactions you have in the circles around you. The the, the ridges that you have on your life that are Christ ridges should begin to be poured out in justice and mercy in in certain circumstances where you said, I I can never show justice here. I can never be, be willing to give mercy in these scenarios. Because the imprint of your life isn't the same as it used to be. The imprint of your life now should begin to match the stamp of Christ on your life. Your identity is completely changed. Your life matches his. And you'll know that somebody's living with this imprint of Christ on their life when you see somebody living with a past, like this huge passion for his kingdom, so much so that they, like, they don't even, it seems like they don't even care about anything else anymore. They're not concerned about what's going on else in their world. There's a song that goes, and I won't sing it, okay? I won't sing it because I'm going to save you and I don't want to sing it. It's going to be good for both of us. The song goes like this. You can have all of this world. Yeah, you can have all of this world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And then the refrain goes, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And what the author or the writer of the song was saying was give me this singular focus where he is the desire of my life, where he is the concern of my life, where I'm consumed by him, and I want people to know that too. The imprint of Christ on a believer's life gives them this grand purpose that's so much bigger than marriage. It gives them a grand purpose that's so much bigger, not just of marriage, but it's really bigger than anything else for that matter. And although marriage is a wonderful gift from God, listen to me, marriage is not the grand purpose of our lives. That may shock some of you. Marriage is not the grand purpose of our lives. Well, if marriage isn't the grand purpose of our lives, then then what is? Because sometimes I feel like it is. Scripture tells us that the greatest purpose of your life is to make Jesus known. I'm going to say that again. The greatest purpose of your life, whether you're a teenager, whether you're middle age, or whether you're over the age, right? The greatest purpose of your life 
is to make Jesus known. Did you know that? If somebody were to come to you and they were to ask you, hey, what's the greatest purpose of life? Or they were to give you like this ethereal question, why do we live? Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? How would you answer that? I mean, think about that for yourself. I mean, there's a great purpose in, 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 in bringing up kids, but is that the greatest purpose of life? There's a great purpose in, in having a financial um, stability that you might be able to, to, to take care of yourself and your grandkids. But that's, a, that's an important thing. Maybe sports is kind of like the greatest purpose of your life, getting your kids involved, or maybe you being involved in sports, or having your kids get a scholarship somewhere. What's the greatest purpose of this life? Maybe it is marriage for you. But how long do those things last? Maybe two years? Ten years? Twenty years? If you're lucky, maybe fifty years? Like, how long will they last? Do they last into eternity? Scripture tells us that the greatest purpose of our life the greatest purpose of your life, my life, it's to make Jesus known. I love reading through the Gospels because I love, I love seeing Jesus. I love seeing how he interacts with people that we probably would never interact with, Mike. Like people, people like, like that sometimes are scary to get around. Or, or, or they're working through complex situations that, that we don't know how to deal with. I love watching Jesus go in and he just makes everybody uncomfortable, right? And, and I love watching him interact but when I read the Gospels and I, and I see Jesus, man, he's so convicting and he's so challenging because when you see him, he calls the disciples to this place of love for one another. He moves them into this place of love with, without boundaries. And the reality is that's challenging for us because sometimes loving people just isn't very easy, right? It's not an easy thing to do. Like we're some pretty complex people with some complex issues. And when those complex issues don't match things that we're comfortable with, we want to stay away from it. And so walking into that is just like, oh, I'm hands off. And then when we try to get close to somebody and we allow ourselves to go there, it's not always easy to stay close to people because people are, are fairly complex. The reality is it's not always easy to love people. But here's the thing. When you watch Jesus, like that's what he moves us to. When you listen to Jesus and you follow Jesus, this is what he moves us into. Because even though it's not easy, it's this great purpose that he has behind this aspect of love. I want you to Listen to John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. <laughs> and by this, all people are going to know that you're my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. How are people going to know that you're disciples? It's going to be shown by love. And this, this is this little piece of this grand purpose that Jesus and God have for life. But after the resurrection, Jesus comes and he has this conversation with his disciples before he's going to kind of go off into heaven, right? And he's going to show them, this is how you put love into practice. This is not just a word. It's not just we talk about. This is how it's going to be shown and displayed in life. And so Matthew 28, Jesus gives us something that we've labeled as the Great Commission. And I think we can, we can take it as the Great Commission. I think we could actually even call it this grand adventure, right? Because if you get on this adventure, if you follow it to the end, you're going to find yourself in some wild places. You're going to take some wild rides. You're going to be seeing things and doing things that you never thought that you would even open yourself up to. You're going to be in having conversations like, I never thought I would talk like this. I never thought I would talk to you. I never thought I would be in this country. I never thought I would be in this environment. This is grand adventure. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And he says, this is how you're going to do it. And behold, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. It's this grand adventure of making Jesus known, 
of going and making disciples, of living out love in the context of whatever community you're a part of. And so Jesus tells them, this is the grand purpose of everybody's life. Now listen to me. It's so easy for us to come to church and to sit down in, in, in comfortable chairs and to listen and to think that what I'm saying or what Scripture is saying is for somebody else. But what I want you to do is I want you to try this on for you, okay? There is a grand purpose for your life in Christ. There's a grand purpose for you. This isn't for your neighbor. This isn't for your wife. This isn't for your husband. This is for you. And the grand purpose, it's not marriage. It's not. The grand purpose that Jesus shows us, it's to make him known. The grand purpose of your life is to make him known and to make disciples. Now, the truth is that might sound pretty funky if you believe that for your entire life, the whole goal was to go find a husband, to go find a wife, and to settle down and ride that thing out until Jesus comes back, right? And it might sound funky if the whole goal of your life was when you came to Christ, you felt like he kind of put you on the top of this hill and just gave you a nudge, and now you just get to coast this thing out. And that, that's all he's called you to. It could sound funky if that's what we believe. But Jesus didn't save us to waste our time. Jesus didn't save us to go spin our wills on things that don't matter or things that won't last. He, he saved us because he's got a great purpose and a call for our lives. And it's not just to ride it out and wait for him to come back, okay? And so why do we go there? Why, why do we talk about this idea of identity? Why do we talk about this idea of um, love here? Here's why this thumbprint thing matters. Here's why the identity thing is important. Unless you recognize God's claim on your life and that he's got a grander vision for you to live out this life, you're going to find no compelling reason to think that your singleness is a gift. You're going to look at your situation. You're going to look at scenarios where the grass is always going to look greener on the other side. And you're always going to think, man, I'm missing out on something. Unless you believe that Jesus has a greater call in your life than marriage, you're always going to feel like I'm missing out on something else. Just kind of waiting around until you find a mate waiting around, maybe until Jesus comes back, whichever one comes first, find a mate or Jesus come back. I'm just going to ride this thing out. Does that make sense? The call of God on your life is not to waste your life waiting. The call of God is to use the season that he's put you in right now, and this is for married or single, to use the, 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 the gift of the season of life that you're in right now to make Jesus know, to make him know. And so as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul hold up singleness as this great gift from God. We're going to see him um, use it, and to, to, use it to, to point us in to this purpose for our life. And what I want you to hear is that singleness, it's not a cross to bear, okay? Singleness is not this cross to bear. It's not a burden to be endured. It's not some punishment because of something that you've done. Singleness is a life to fully embrace, Singleness is a life to fully live out. It's a gift from God. The grass is just fine on your side of the fence. So live on your side of the fence. See your grass the way that God has watered that grass. Look at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, your text might say virgins here. Now concerning the betrothed or the virgins, the idea here is that somebody who's never been married before, okay? Somebody who has never been married or they, they're, they're single again and, and they are now in a relational commitment and they're remaining sexually pure, okay? So he says, now concerning the betrothed, the virgins, I have no command from the Lord. 
When he says, I've got no command from the Lord, this does, that what this means is that he's not heard something directly from the mouth of Jesus concerning this. It doesn't mean that it's not authoritative for our life, right? Because Paul has been inspired by God to pin down the words of Scripture. And so these are no less authoritative than had he said, this comes straight from the mouth of the Lord, because all of this is God's word and truth to us. It says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, and when he's talking about the present distress here, he's talking about the culture that we've been talking about over the past month or so, that there is some wild stuff going on. It is chaos in corn. They said, because of this present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. What he's saying is, I want to save you some problems that you don't see that, are, that may come down the road from you. So listen up. And, and I'm not going to belabor these verses because I think they're pretty straightforward, right? And so why complicate something that uh, seems to be pretty easy? But I think Paul is saying here, or what he's doing, he's trying to reorient their, their mindset, right? Remember, like the sexual climate, the relational climate, the, the relational complexity there of Corinth, it's an absolute mess. And Paul's answering, he's taking time to answer questions that the, the Corinthian church is asking them. Should a person get married? Can a person get divorced if they get married? And what if a person comes to Christ while they're married, but their spouse doesn't come to Christ? What do you do then? And so Paul's answering their questions as they come, but he kind of does like this little sneaky jujitsu ninja move, right? To take their question, and he's going to answer the question, but really what he's wanting to do is he's wanting them to see that, that what they're asking, there's, so much, there's something so much greater, and there's something so much bigger going on in relationships than, than what they can see right now. What he's going to show them is that eternity, eternity is at stake. It's not just about marriage or singleness. Eternity is at stake here for the people who are in Corinth. The culture in the area, man, it was going down. It was like a burning ship, and it was heading down fast. And so the reality is that they needed Jesus. They, they needed the imprint of Jesus on their life. They needed the ridges of love and compassion. They needed the ridges of, of truth and grace. They needed the ridges of justice and mercy being lived out in their context and in the complexity of their brokenness. They needed to see Jesus' identity, in the, and they needed to experience that for themselves. The ship is going down, and it's going down fast. And so Paul's like, dude, if you're married, that's awesome. Don't look over the fence and be like, dang, it looks better over there in the single world. People are just out there kind of wilding out. They're heading down Main Street, and they're doing whatever it is that they want to do. They're living it up in the club life. He says, don't look for a way out. Get off the fence. Look at your own grass. If your grass needs watered, water your grass. If there's weeds in your yard, pick the weeds out. He's also like, dude, if you're single... That's awesome too. That's a great thing. But don't be looking over the fence at the married people saying, I want what you have. It may come. Marriage may come. Marriage may not come. But don't envy what you don't yet have. And certainly don't find your value there. There's a greater purpose for your life than what you think right now. But I want you to look at verse 28. He's going to let this little ninja move out of the bag here. Okay? This is where he's going to take marriage and he's going to take singleness together. And he's not going to diminish either one. He's going to raise them both up, and he's going to use the presenting problem, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you are looking for a spouse, whether you're not looking for a spouse, he's going to take the presenting problem, and he's going to show people the greater purpose and the call on their lives. Look what he says. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, <clears throat> and I would spare you that. It's like, guys, 
Married people have problems too. The grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. Now, now watch what he says in verse 29. <clears throat> this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What he's saying is, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have time to waste here. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. And he's not saying don't just treat your spouse. He's not, he's not saying treat your spouse like uh, um, crap and just walk away from her. He, he's, saying, he's saying something different here. Look at verse 30. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. And there, here's where it comes in. For the present form of this world is passing away. Do, do you see the, the little theological jujitsu move that he just does here, right? He says, you're talking about getting married. You're talking about staying single, or you're talking about staying married or getting divorced. But look around you. The ship's going down. Like, it's going down, and we don't have much time to get people to the lifeboats. You guys ever see the movie Titanic? It's an older movie now. Like, it was kind of popular when I was a kid. Actually, I like the movie, and so I don't want to knock on it too hard. But we know the story, right? I'm not gonna, it's not going to be a spoiler alert kind of a thing. But in the movie, like everybody in, in the movie that's on the set, they've resigned to the fact that this thing is going down, right? You know it's going down. There's no hope. People are heading for the lifeboats. They're getting there as fast as they can. They realize there's not enough They're going on. But often to the side, there's a, there's a group of musicians who are over there. And I don't want to knock musicians, okay? This is, not, this is not an attack on musicians. Ashley told me yesterday, she's like, musicians are going to feel like you're, you're pointing out. No, this is not an attack on, on musicians, okay? You've got musicians who are, while the boat is sinking, they're over here playing music. They're, they're, they're plucking the chords, they're dragging the, the bows across the strings, and they're acting like the ship isn't going down. They're just playing music while the thing's burning up. Acting like nothing's wrong. I like how Eugene Peterson grabs these verses in uh, the message here. Listen to what he says in verse 29 and following. He says, I, I, don't, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There's no time to waste, so don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, whatever, even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on, deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. This world as you see it is on its way out. Eugene got it. He understood that this life is short, that the boat's going down and it's going down fast. And so don't focus on the wrong things here. And so if we wrap this back and we bring this back to the idea of our spiritual thumbprint, You'll know that you're seeing Christ at work in somebody's life when you see them live with such a passion for his kingdom, so much so that it doesn't look like they're concerned or that they care about anything else. And all they want to do is make Jesus known. All they want to do is make him known, and they want to get people off of a sinking ship, and they want to bring them over to the lifeboat. They see the thing going down, and they don't want people to go down with the ship. They want to get them to life. They want to show them where life is. You see how... Paul is trying to put the relational context or the relational status into the proper perspective here. Paul is like, listen, he's warning everybody, don't lose sight of the greater vision. Marriage is a great thing. Yes, singleness is a great thing. It's good. But don't lose sight of the greater vision here. Some people are like, man, but I don't want to be single. I don't like being single. I'm single for the first time or I'm single again, didn't like the way things worked out and things fell apart and don't want to be single. This isn't a gift for me. I'm actually, I'm mad that I'm single. 
still or I'm mad that the thing fell apart. I'm a little bit frustrated in this. And if I'm being honest, I'm a little frustrated and mad with God. So how on earth can I see that singleness is, is a gift? What Paul is going to say is that it's a gift because you get to straight up focus on getting people to the boats with nothing coming in to complicate it. You get to stay focused on Christ and getting people to the lifeboats without worrying about anything else. You get to stay focused without worrying about like, a, a spouse that can kind of come in and complicate things. You, you don't have to worry about things that married people have to think through. And I'm going to be real careful here, okay? I'm be real careful. Like, I love my wife, okay? And I love being married, and, and I want it to stay that way. And, but here's the thing. Sometimes being married gets complicated. There are some things that happen that uh, I have to be really careful because she's in this service. She wasn't in last service. Uh, there are some things that, that happen in, in marriage where it makes life complicated. And if we're being honest, it takes time to resolve. It takes time to work out. Like th- this week, I'm going to tell you, I'm, babe, th- this week, like it was rough for us. Like we had some areas, like we, like we just weren't clicking, man. Like we were not clicking at all. Like we were emotionally distant. We weren't feeling like we were communicating very well. It just wasn't a good week for us. Praise God, I don't think we're still there. Maybe. I don't think we're still there. But the reality is that when there's friction and there's complication between couples, like it takes time to work on it. It it doesn't go away. You have to focus on those things if it's going to be a good thing. It takes time. And what Paul says is that the single person doesn't have to worry about that. They get to be so singularly focused. Look at verse 32. He said, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see Paul saying, singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift, but marriage comes with some complications that single folks just don't have to deal with. The word that Paul uses here for the word anxieties, you may have concerns or cares there in in your text. The word literally means to be pulled in two different directions, to be pulled one way and to be pulled the other and to be pulled uh, so tight and stretched so thin that complications begin to show up. Married people are constantly being pulled in two different directions. I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to be over here. I want to serve the Lord. And, but there is always something that's pulling against them. And married couples, they have to deal with these things. Like, this, like think about this. This is two imperfect people, perfectly perfected in, in Jesus, but still living out life in the flesh, right? You have to deal with things like, man, we both have, uh, we both have needs. We both have desires. We both have likes. We both have dislikes. We both have emotions and feelings and, and, and things that, that make us excited and things that just really drag us down. You've got two imperfect people trying to figure this thing out and trying to figure out how do we agree with one another all the time. And married couples have to figure out how do we graciously wade through all the concerns of, of finances. Like you spend differently than I spend. And so how do we work through that? How do we spiritually help each other to grow up with one another? How does a guy lead? How does a woman let the guy lead? Is that right? Is it wrong? How do we work out this spiritual growth together, right? How do we communicate? How do we do conflict well with one another? When and how often do we express our sexual feelings for one another? And in-laws, right? We can just stop right there with in-laws. 
If you're married, you've got in-laws. And, and sometimes some of the biggest fights that you can have are with in-laws. Where do you spend the holidays? Anybody having that conversation about Thanksgiving right now? Anybody having, there we go, having that conversation about Christmas? Some of the biggest fights that you can have are surrounded in-laws. Some of the biggest fights that Ashley and I have, like, where do you spend Thanksgiving? This year? Like, we, we were with your parents last year, so we're with your parents this year. Christmas was in. This was like, when are the kids? Like, all this stuff getting wrapped in. Some of the biggest fights that we have are wrapped around, where are you going to spend the holidays? And then when you get there, well, you act differently when you're with your family. Well, you act differently with yours. And then it's just like, bam, right? It just goes crazy. Like, how does this happen every time? If you're single, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Some of the worst fights come with that business. I love my in-laws, if you're watching. <laughs> if you're not, no, no, I'm just joking. There are, these are some of the things that you work out in premarital counseling, right? To keep, the, to keep the boat from rocking in a negative way. But they're also the same things that you tend to have to work out in postmarital counseling because the boat still gets rocky. That you still hit some rocks. Uh, along the way. And Paul says, married people have weeds that pop up that we've got to deal with too. And it takes time to work through those things. And so one of the questions that you have to ask yourself if you're ever thinking about getting married is this, do I think that I can serve the Lord better with this person? Or do I feel like this is going to impede me being able to serve the Lord well? Am I going to be able to serve the Lord better? Can we serve the Lord better together? Or does it keep me from growing? Does it, keep, uh, does it keep me from doing the ministry that God has called me to? I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to give a whole lot of context to it. I'm just going to throw, that, throw this out there, but you can research some of, the, um, some of the greatest missionaries and some of the greatest pastors in, in culture. Some of the greatest pastors and the missionaries that this world has ever seen would have been better single if they would have never married. Some of the greatest men of God who were preaching and sharing the gospel in other parts of the world and in other parts of the United States would have been better if they were never single. And I say that because their homes were destroyed. Wives are at home going crazy, nobody there to, to help with the babies. Wives are at home trying to figure out how, how do I take care of like when I'm sick and everybody else is sick. Some of the greatest men, like they were so impactful for the kingdom, would have been better off. At least their wives would have been better off if they would have never got married. And that's hard to say, but it's the reality. Look at George Whitfield. Look at John Wesley. Wives and families just suffered because they wouldn't stay home. They're, they were divided men. I've got a passion for the kingdom and I'm married. And how do I work these two things out? He says, single people don't have to work through that. Before Ashley and I ever got married, um, we wrestled through this idea. We knew that God had called us to serve him and to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. And we, we knew that we didn't want to impede each other uh, from, from moving closer to him and, and, and affect the ministry that either one of us would have. And so we wrestled with this idea, do we date? Do we not date? And when we started dating, like, do we get married? When do we get married? Is it a right time? Like, is it right to get married? And is it a right time right now to get married? How does, the, how does this work out? And so we wrestled through that. And um, both of us, we came across um, uh, a guy named Tommy Nelson. And Tommy Nelson has been a guy that I, I've really enjoyed his teaching. He's just a word-for-word -word kind of a guy and walks through. But he did a, a series in the book of the Song of Solomon. And it was a fantastic series and just walked through the whole old-school courting stage of marriage. Like, how do you get to know one another into the, the whole aspect of you walk down the aisle and you're getting married. And, and he said this in, in his uh, series. He said, if you want a godly maid, and, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, if you, if you want a godly mate, 
Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And you run as fast as you can towards him. And if you look up and you see somebody else running alongside of you in the same direction, don't take your eyes off Jesus. You keep running for that person. And then if, if, the, if that person at some point starts running towards you as they're running towards Jesus and you got this triangulation thing kind of happening, you're growing and they're growing and you're growing closer together, that might mean that you might be able to serve the Lord better together than you could ever apart. But if you're running after the Lord and you're getting people off of, off of a burning ship and you're getting them onto the lifeboats and you look up and there's nobody else around you, don't stop what you're doing to go find a mate. Don't stop what you're doing to go find a mate. You wait. You wait until you look up and you've got a running partner. We could save ourselves a whole lot of trouble with not just settling for some knucklehead that just wants to take our focus off of the Lord. Somebody to come in and, and just to take your focus and say, just to act like a baby and say, hey, look at me. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. And all the while, your focus is shifting from the Lord over to him or shifting your focus away from him to, to her. Sometimes when we rush, we settle. And Paul doesn't want people to settle here. And that's his concern. He didn't want these flippant relationships to get in the way of God's people flipping the culture for him. And that's what was going on. He wanted people to wholeheartedly be impacting the culture, whether they were single or whether they were married, not to be impeded in their ministry. Like, man, I'm single and that stinks. I, I want to be married. I feel like I'm just kind of being put in a, a box here. I want you to look at what verse 35 says here. I say this for your own good, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The, the, I want to focus on the word restraint here, okay? The word restraint is like a hunter um, who, who goes out looking for his dinner, right? He's going out and he's looking for something to eat, and so he lays a, a snare down as a trap, or he's got a lasso in his hand waiting for something to come by. And as, and as the, the game comes by, it's like, bam! As soon as it's there, he wraps up the legs, and it gets snared up and entangled and restrained down on the ground. So now the fate of that animal is to go be, in, to go be eaten, right? That, that's what it means to be restrained here. And Paul's saying, guys, I'm not trying to throw a lasso around you and to restrain you and to put you in some kind of box where you think like this is just a worst case scenario for your life. It's like, that's not what's going on here. Like, like I, I want you to thrive. I want you to stay focused on what's important. Singleness is a gift to you. You're not being snared up here. Look at verse 36. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him, let him marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he'll do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul's saying, I just want you all to remain as I am. Just be single. It's a good thing. But look at verse 8 and 9. We said a couple weeks ago that we weren't going to leave 8 and 9 out, that we would bring them back in when we talked about this. And so here's verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Or it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Anybody just like hang on to that verse in your life? Like, I'm going to get married because I'm just dying inside here. Here's what it means. 
There, there were dating principles in the ancient world, just like we've got uh, dating principles today. People would go and they would get engaged and they'd have the intent to get married at some point and they would uh, go and they would get the parents' approval, right? They would go get daddy's uh, approval. And the, the, the betrothal, the engagement period was a clear sign that a guy wanted to marry that girl someday. And so the guy would approach uh, the father and he would go and he'd buy him a nice huge steak at a nice steakhouse, right? He'd prep the conversation, get daddy ready for this conversation. And he would express his desires for his daughter. And the daddy would express his desires for his daughter. And the man would express his intentions of how he's going to take care of the woman. And the, and the daddy would say, these are the intentions that I have of somebody who's going to take care of my daughter. This conversation would take place. This is, this is how it would work. We kind of still have that going on in our culture today. People still do kind of get engaged, but there's this, this culture more and more of just kind of hooking up. Swipe right, swipe left on a certain criteria, like or dislike, and, and if it, the person meets a certain criteria, we'll, we'll meet somewhere, and if the night goes well, we might just be able to, um, to, to have a nice wild night together. And this culture of just hooking up with one another has begun to supplant a true purity in singleness or even a true purity in moving towards a marriage relationship. And Paul says here, guys, relationships are so much more important than this. It's great to be single, but if you can't keep your hands off each other any longer and self-control has completely gone out the window, well then go and get married already. Stop waiting around. But I want to be real clear here. Okay, he's not rushing people into marriage. He's not pushing them there. And so if you're kind of looking over and saying like, okay, dude, you and me, we're going to go get this thing together like as fast as we can because I can't keep my hands on myself, you can't keep yours. No, that's not, what, that's not what he's getting after here. If a couple has gone through the courting process of getting to know one another, if they've gone through what we would say is the premarital counseling phase of, of getting to know one another, they know each other so well, they know what's slept under the rug, they know what people are hiding out, they, know, they get it all out into the open, and they made a decision, they think that they can serve God better together than they ever could apart, then if the natural desires and the natural passions are these God-given desires and passions that are good things, if they are there and you found that you just can't wait any longer, meaning that you can no longer stay sexually pure with one another, okay? That you just can't keep your hands up. He says, don't play around with sin. Don't engage it. Don't dance around it. Don't get close to it. Grab your pastor and go get married. If you've gone through the whole stage, like don't wait any longer. Don't burn in lust. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not mushing them in the marriage. And so what I want to say is we kind of move this thing into, you know, closing time here. God has put an identity on you that the culture doesn't get to define. God has placed his thumbprint on your life. You have a call to live out of that thumbprint, to live for something so much greater than just simply being married or being single. You get to be a part of the Great Commission. You get to be a part of making Jesus known. You get to be a part of this grand adventure of getting people off of a sinking, burning ship and getting them over to the lifeboats. And you can do that fantastically as a single man. You can do it fantastically as a single woman. And you can do it fantastically as a married man or a married woman. The grass is perfect on your side of the fence. Use everything in that season that you have of life to help get people off of a burning boat onto the lifeboats. And if it just so happens 
that at some point the Lord calls you to a spouse and you believe that you can serve better together, Paul says, okay. But don't waste your time in this season of life that you're in right now looking around and waiting for that to happen. Use this part of your life to get people to the boats. And if you believe that marriage is ever an option for you, I want to give you five things real quick that Warren Wearsby says, ask these five questions. What is my gift from God? Is my gift to be married or is my gift to remain single? And if you believe that your, your gift is to be married one day, the next question is, am I marrying a believer? Am I, am, am, am I marrying somebody who's running in the same place that I am? Or am I going to be marrying somebody who is constantly pulling me away and my focus away from Jesus? Some people may come to Christ through marriage, but this isn't a call to a missionary marriage where you know somebody is not a believer going in. This is, Am I marrying a believer? And then if you believe you're marrying a believer, is marriage right? And not just is it right, is it right for me right now in this season of my life? Because it doesn't always mean that just because marriage is right for you doesn't mean that marriage is right right now. You could be in a season where God is using you profoundly and to get married would be like, it's just put a, put a damper on that. And so is marriage right right now? And how will getting married affect your service for the Lord? And the way that Paul wraps up this last section is, Am I, prepared, am I prepared to enter into this union for life? Because it's not easy in and it's not easy out. When somebody gets married, the intention is that they would get married for life. And if, I know we live in a culture and a scenario where it doesn't always work out like that. And there's grace in those places, there's grace in those moments. But the design of God was that it would be two people together for life. And so Paul says, if you're going to get married, are you ready to do that for life? Singleness is a gift. Use it to get people off of a burning boat onto a lifeboat. And while you wait, you say, I'm lonely and I don't know what to do. I've got these urges and how, how do I work this out? I was reading Titus this week and, and Paul gives these, these strong calls to Titus and how he's to teach and how he's to instruct the, the, the believers around him. And he says, older women, you grab some younger women and you start teaching. He says, older men, you grab some younger men and you start teaching. You start mentoring up this younger, these younger individuals. You start mentoring them up in the right way to go. And if you're young and you're single in here, you find an older person who's walked down the road, who's been down, and you tie yourself to them and you start learning. If you're an older person in here and, and you see where our culture is right now, you grab one of these gals, you grab one of these guys, you say, you know what? I'm not going to let you go down with a ship. I'm bringing you in. I'm going to mentor you up. So Titus, or Paul gives strong inclinations to what do I do with my time? Well, I bring people around. I, I start teaching them. I start mentoring them. Volunteer somewhere. Use that time that you have. Volunteer at the rock. Volunteer uh, in, in different aspects. Get involved in a life group. Get involved with life on life with people. Have healthy heterosexual friendships. Have healthy um, same-sex friendships. Like we've, we've bought the lie that you can't be friends with people. And if you begin to be friends with somebody that you have to take the next step, you can have healthy relationships. So seek those relationships out. Get around people. Be in community. And if you've got these urges where you just can't keep your hands to yourself, you want to know a way to get that out, go to the gym. <laughs> go to the gym. Go run. Go get you some sneakers and go put some miles on your legs and allow yourself to keep walking in purity. Okay, let's pray. Father, I have internally in me a desire to see us live your principles out. 
I want to live those principles out for my own life. And I want to see your church living those out as well. And Father, the, the call that you put on our life is significant. And I don't want to see us settle for less than your best, to, to settle for good when you've got great waiting in front of us. And so Father, would however you need to do it, would you help us not to, to settle? Would you help us not to get into this, my grass is not as green as that grass on the other side, and just use the season that we're in as a gift to grab a hold of this mission that you've given each one of us and to go and make your son known. To make disciples, to grow up people, to use this life because we don't get another one. It's not YOLO. It's YALF, as J.D. Greer says. It's you actually live forever and so make this life count because people's life now is determining on it for forever. So don't let us waste our life. Don't let us waste our season of life. I pray, Father, that you would just put a conviction in us to not follow culture, but to follow Christ in everything that we do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.